This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Dowdy. Our guest this week is Indiana 2nd District Representative Jackie Walorski. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta is delivering technology and fighting climate change. Learn more at Syngenta.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Hoosier Congresswoman Jackie Walorski next. Today's Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta aims to deliver at least two technological breakthroughs each year to reduce agriculture's contribution to climate change. That goal is matched by a drive to reduce the carbon intensity of the company's entire operations by at least 50% by 2030. See what innovative thinking and collaboration can accomplish. Learn more at Syngenta.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. As a member of the powerful House Ways and Means Committee, Indiana 2nd District Congresswoman Jackie Walorski is deeply concerned about the intent and price tag of both economic stimulus programs and the infrastructure proposals from the White House and the majority leadership in Congress. She supported the Trump administration's targeted approach to economic stimulus, but disagrees with the blanket approach from President Biden. These gigantic COVID bills that are coming out in multiple trillions of dollars and multiple bills, I think is the complete wrong approach. I think it's hurting the economy. I think it's spurring the inflation that Hoosiers are seeing right now, that the more money is coming out of their pocket for gas in the state of Indiana, groceries, and, um, you know, we're, con- we're continuing to see broken supply chains. We're continuing to see Hoosiers waiting on things that they can't get for months. I think that's all a result of bad planning, bad policy. If you don't make a specific plan where this money from the federal government is going and stop spending it at this point and actually take a look and see where we are on the grid of success, I think it's bad policy. And I think that's what we're seeing right now from necessity to all of a sudden, you know, gift from the federal government times multiple trillions of dollars, which is now debt. I think they're making a mistake. I spoke to a congressman last year on this show who suggested when the house is on fire, you don't worry about the price of water. But the question now, when does concern over the national debt start to enter the discussion again? Well, it's there, and we're having that discussion. And, you know, I've been talking about this for the last five or six weeks. The issue of the extension of the federal unemployment, for example, in the state of Indiana, $300 a week. And, you know, it it built to $17.50 an hour for a Hoosier to stay away from work, stay home, and just live on this combined unemployment. And if that issue fell in the uh, subcommittee that I'm the ranking member of on Ways and Means, and so, you know, I worked really hard to get a letter out to every single Republican governor asking them to drop those extra unemployment uh, payments and allow people to go back to work because when I was in my district or anywhere around the state of Indiana or around the country, it didn't matter if you were um, the CEO of a two-employee store or 5,000 employees in the RV industry, you have to be able to hire. And when you see these obstacles coming up from the federal government and you expect a Hoosier CEO, a Hoosier employer to be able to come up and, and literally uh, in competition with the federal government for people, that is the wrong role of government. And so I think that we're heading in the right direction now. You know, there's 26 states that have dropped these federal extension benefits, and Indiana is one of them. And I think we're heading in the right direction. And we just have to continue to fight for good, common-sense Hoosier policies because those work. And they're working right now, even though we're in the minority. You know, half the country's governors are dropping this and coming alongside of us and saying, get people back to work. 
and let's you know continue to build success in our country and in our individual families. For several weeks, there's been discussion over an infrastructure plan, and there have been negotiations at various levels. Now there is another group of bipartisan senators that's working on this, and uh, recently the White House has offered another deadline. What's your thought on the proposals thus far? Well, you know, there's bipartisan agreement in the need for infrastructure, and, you know, states really benefit. It's an unbelievable um, return on investment. Indiana does really well, in, you know, with infrastructure on their own, let alone in partnership with a federal program. The problem is, you know, when we're talking about uh, the kind of things that, that we think we're, we want in an infrastructure plan, like roads and bridges and rails, waters, airports, broadband, rural hospitals, those kinds of things, um, we've offered that. It's a rep- on the Republican side, President uh, Biden has rejected those. So the Democrats in Congress have been super resistant to any proposal that focuses narrowly on infrastructure and doesn't raise taxes. And we're not going to do that. We're not raising taxes on the American people when President Biden has a whole host of taxes he wants to roll out. So I think when we when we look at infrastructure, if we don't get it fixed, the problem with it is, you know, it's huge delays of government red tape. And we don't want to get into that, so we really do want to, you know, carve a position where we can all come to agreement. So, you know, the bipartisan Senate plan led by Portman and Cinema. I don't have all the details on their plan, but I do know talks are ongoing. I would be very glad to see bipartisan talks happening in the Senate since Speaker Pelosi's been focused entirely on the partisan part of the legislation when it comes to the House. However, I'm concerned by reports that Bernie Sanders and other progressives are threatening to block any bipartisan agreement if it doesn't include the unrelated far-left priorities like the Green New Deal. So as of right now, you know, what's in this plan is $1.2 trillion over eight years focused on physical infrastructure linked to an index gas tax to inflation. And, you know, only 5% of that total amount of money is even going to roads and bridges. You know, they've got $200 billion to make buildings, you know, quote-unquote energy efficient. They've got more in this bill on electric vehicles than broadband. And for any Hoosier listening to this, we know in our state, and I know living in a rural area, how important broadband is to the state of Indiana. So, you know, it's full of subsidies and regulations to limit fossil fuels. All the things that common-sense Hoosiers would be for the Democrats are against. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that we're going to be able to continue to work through this. It's really important. But I think the overspending, and again, the shotgun blast that it literally just goes in all kinds of directions, but it's not focused on infrastructure with only 5% focus, it's not good. It's a bad policy. Pre- I hope we get it. I hope we get there. But I think it has to be smart, good, common-sense policy. President Biden's initial plan was the pay-for was an increase in corporate taxes and for all practical purposes, an ending of the stepped-up basis, uh, a death tax, if you will. For farms, there was a concession saying as long as it stayed in a farm, then it would be exempt. Chairman Scott of the House Agriculture Committee suggesting that's not good enough in the fact that the tax is still laying over the head of a farming operation. Uh, a Texas A&M study saying 92 out of 94 farms would be affected with an average tax bill of over $700,000. What's wrong with paying for infrastructure with an increase in corporate taxes? Well, I don't think we should be raising taxes. 
you know, in five and a half months, we've gone from a rock-solid, growing, robust economy into this crisis all of a sudden in the economy. Where did that come from? Well, I think a lot of that came from the change in administration. Who's your family farmers? The backbone of our economy. They shouldn't have to make up this difficult decision to break up their or sell their farm because of a crushing tax bill after the death of a loved one. You know, I have carried this flag to repeal the death tax, both in Indiana and here at the federal level, and I'm very concerned on the stepped-up basis that Democrats will seek to make stepped-up basis more punitive and, and as a way to fund their priorities. Some people in Congress even propose taxing capital gains at death and eliminating the stepped-up basis altogether, which would be devastating. So it's not the question of either or. The question is, why in the world is this even still legal in the United States of America? To penalize farmers and to prohibit the ability to pass on family farms, which make up the state of Indiana, to their children or to somebody or to their family. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's an overreach, and I'm going to fight them every step of the way. And I will tell you, I did uh, introduce a bipartisan piece of legislation to protect family farms by updating the special use valuation. So my bill, the Bipartisan Preserving Family Farms Act, would update existing provisions in the tax code that have not kept up with the value of farmland. It would ensure estate taxes are based on the value of the land as it's used, actually, not its highest potential value if it was sold for development which would give the next generation of farmers a better chance to carry on their family's legacy, keep the family-owned ag businesses going strong. I just think this is an attack that's unwarranted. I absolutely do not support it, and it's not the question of corporate taxes or family farms. The answer to that is in five and a half months, we should not be in a crisis economically like we are. It's because of the bad policies coming out of this administration, and I am fighting them every step of the way on this issue. As I recall with your legislation, that Preserving Family Farms Act, you were that was bipartisan. You were also working with Congressman Panetta of California. Correct. You know, when you start getting into the rank and file of all of our members and all of their members, there is commonality and common agreement on how to fix and bring common sense solutions in. Unfortunately, on the Democratic side, with their leadership being so left-leaning, following the Green New Deal, disguising it as infrastructure, taking issues like this and running them in the ground and, and telling family farmers in Indiana, you know, there's a new pot of gold. There's a new pot of gold that President Biden's putting his hands in and taking it away. That is not going to happen on my watch. I'm very passionate about it always have been. It's not fair, and it should absolutely not be on this docket. So as a bipartisan group, we are. We are. We're starting to get bipartisan support to stand against it. Congresswoman, do you feel that there is an effort to rebalance wealth in the nation? Absolutely. It's called socialism, and you can see it happening right here, right now. It's happening at a jet pace. You know, I'm on the Ways and Means Committee, and we had a look a couple of weeks ago on all the taxes that are being proposed by the Biden administration. And if you think that you're safe because you don't make 400000 a year and you're under that threshold, you know, Katie bar the door. The attitude with these guys in this overspending is if you have it, they're taking it. And making money at, at the corporate level is a bad thing, and they're going to take that money from you and give it to people that they believe are entitled to that money. That is not capitalism. This is not the democracy we grew up with. This is fast and furious, pedal to the metal socialism happening right in front of us. That's why I am fighting so hard in the minority, and, you know, we're using any piece of leverage we can get to stop them, including Republican governors as leverage to block what they're trying to do. So, you know, all is not lost. Hope is not lost. 
you know, I absolutely think we'll be in the majority of the of the House of Representatives next uh, November. I don't think the American people are going to stand for this transfer of wealth. Congresswoman, I'm asking for your perspective and looking across the aisle. Can budget reconciliation pass in the House with this particular infrastructure plan that would also change tax structure? I don't think reconciliation will will work. It's a tool. I think for as much as these uh, as the Democrats and the Biden administration have already pushed through that is just damaging to the economy. Um, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of hope on the House side. They'll pass their bill, but you won't see a whole lot of Democrat, uh, Republican support to make it actually bipartisan. They will continue to run their trifecta of power. They'll continue to move through the Senate, move through the House, and into the President's desk. And I think that's where the American people are going to hold them accountable next November. You cannot keep doing this. And what, and have the American people standing by. They're not going to do it. And we can see that now. I can see that in our state of Indiana, what people are saying. You know, I was, I've just been home for a couple of weeks listening to people in the district and, you know, people are, they're furious and they, they understand what's happening with this inflation. They understand when they go to the grocery store, prices continue to escalate. There's been a 300% increase in lumber. I mean, people see what's going on. They remember this. If you're old enough like I am, and remember the 1970s, well, buckle up. I mean, here we go into a devastating turn of events, and it's only been five and a half months, six months. Congresswoman, you supported the five-year farm bill, and I'm turning attention now to thoughts on farm policy. What are your ideas regarding sustainable farming practices and compensation from some source for the way that producers uh, raise crops and livestock? Well, you know, I'm a so I'm a agriculture geek in some ways and so i'll tell you a couple of things i've seen in my district that are about sustainability that i'm very excited about and so when you look at things like cover crops and you look at things you know there's a chateau ditch project in kosciuszko county in my district and i'm fascinated by it and it's you know it's a it's a look at the future brought together by good smart common sense farmers and and purdue and and other you know, institutions around the country. It's a big uh, partnership deal, you know, being able to, you know, have clean water coming out of your fields and the filtration system being natural, organic. And, you know, I've seen these for years and followed these for years in sustainability of uh, Hoosier crops and, you know, what it means to these family farms that are taking all the risk on everything they do, and yet they're being able to cross over into sustainability without selling uh, the farm on the Green New Deal. You know, our Hoosier farmers are good stewards of the environment and the economy, and I think there's a lot to be said for what we model at the national level. We do do things right. We do cutting-edge things, and I think when we're talking about sustainability and we're talking about protecting the climate and those kinds of things, I think we can point to what Hoosiers are doing now. We don't have to cross over to the left part of the atmosphere and buy into some of this uh, incredibly dangerous things through AOC and the Green New Deal. I think our Hoosier farmers are great representatives of how to start getting into this process. Let's turn to energy policy. Some would suggest the Biden administration is in a full-court press for a shift uh, to electric vehicles, and the renewable fuel industry quite concerned now that there may be some support from the Biden administration with relief to the renewable fuel standard in the middle of a, a difficult economic time for themselves, as they've described. Is the White House playing favorites? 
This White House has been playing favorites since January 20th when this president was inaugurated. You know, back to this infrastructure plan, they have more money for electric vehicles than broadband in that plan. And one of the things that we just learned from COVID, you know, is the need for national broadband, not just for rural and not just for farmers, but for the whole country. Why? Because we're shifting to telehealth in this country, which can only be reached by broadband. We went to virtual schooling in this country, which... The, the number one need was we need virtual broadband if we ever get hit by a catastrophe again. So you can, I, I think that's a shift in policy right there. The need for broadband in our country, especially in rural areas, to be a part of, of our national economy is so important. But what's the policy reflected here? That they're going to put, uh, you know, more money on electric cars and make that switch to electric cars than broadband. I think it's a huge policy shift. And, you know, our nation is big enough, and I think we've, we've shown that and we've shown that. This nation is big enough to have all kinds of alternative kinds of power, but not to literally shut down the fossil fuel in this country, turn our backs and just walk away and say, you know, done, you know, shake the dirt off our hands and, and keep moving. So turning attention then to trade, what are your thoughts of Catherine Tai and this Biden administration? Some success over the past week in a deal or at least a five-year pause over the Airbus subsidies. What are your hopes in the in, in the trade arena? Well, so I work closely with her. You know, she comes from, Catherine Tai comes previously from Ways and Means, uh, being a staff member for the Democrats. So I've seen firsthand her knowledge as a trade lawyer and skill as a negotiator. She's been bipartisan consensus builder before. I look forward to working with her. I already have worked with her. I've already had conversations with her. I think the key issues for us in, in the realm of agriculture will be the creation of, will be the creation of an exclusion process for Section 301 tariffs, renewal of GSP and MPB, Enforcement of USMCA, which is happening right now, especially with issues in Canadian, uh, with the Canadians and dairy. Targeted actions that counter China's unfair trade practices without harming businesses and farms in America. And, you know, I do have a good relationship with her. I had a phenomenal relationship with Ambassador Lighthizer and, you know, I've spent the last couple of years really in the weeds on issues of trade. And I will tell you that USMCA is a good deal. It's a great deal for America because it really centralizes on opening up export markets for agriculture. And my job, as you know, we continue to talk about all these other trade deals, is to continue to make sure, even with the EU, that agriculture stays at the top in fighting for additional markets. So really, no matter what country we're talking about with trade talks, with bilateral trade talks, I think she is fair. I think she's been very honest. And I think there's going to be a role to play, probably a new role for Congress, which I think is a great thing, that, you know, we open up um, geographically the, the trade talks so everybody in Congress, one, is held accountable to, to work on behalf of their districts, but two, to be open-minded on, you know, how important trade deals are. Not everybody's as involved in trade as I am, but geographically in my district, um, you know, I have become very, very involved in trade, super important to all of us in Indiana, especially the export community and the RV industry that I represent. Um, the GSP is, you know, far more important than other in, in my district and even other places in Indiana. Congresswoman, let's finish with this thought. We have seen cybersecurity as an issue. It's affected our energy industry, and it's also affected the food industry. What needs to be done, and how serious is this situation now? Well, I think it's very serious and very timely that you bring that up where Russia, you know, had the ability to not only hit 
our gas industry but hit our food industry. And if this isn't a test of the resilience and the commitment of this administration into protecting America, then I've never seen a test in my life. You know, Russia didn't pick things that really didn't matter. They picked the lifeline, the veins of our country. And I think it's very appropriate with President Biden sitting over there talking to, um, you know, President Putin right now as we speak. I think Russia has to be held accountable. I think this administration has to shake, rattle, and roll Russia to come back in or, or put additional sanctions on them, um, but do something to show Putin that we're not going to sit around and allow our nation, the leader of the free world, to be held captive either by ransomware or shaken by another uh, country. And I think it's really important that we do, and I think it's important that, you know, we continue on our side here in Congress, you know, creating and and, and adding to the creation of a strong, uh, super strong digital United States and putting up the kind of uh, defense that we need to put up to make sure that our country is safe. I mean, it is so serious when you start talking about the ability to uh, for another country to come in and either take hostage or completely decimate um, an industry, industries like that in the United States. I think when you saw them coming after the food supply, it gets even more serious. Congresswoman, we want to thank you very much for taking time out of an incredibly busy schedule to spend with us here on the AgriPulse Open Mic. It's your first visit here. It is Open Mic, and today you have the last word. Well, I think it's important. Uh, number one, I want to thank you for allowing me to come. But I think it's important for your listeners and for, you know, farmers and uh, family farms especially to know that, you know, I honor what family farms bring to our country, to our nation, and to my district and to Indiana. I honor them you know, for being the the growers of the food that feeds the world, being responsible, being great stewards of our economy and of our environment, and taking that risk on as family units. And you know what? I'm fighting for them. I'll continue to fight for them. I think we have uh, a great hope, though, in the future that hope is on the way and this, this huge left progressive agenda that's being run by the Biden administration, I really do believe comes to an end next November. And so I would just say that, you know, there's hope on the horizon. Uh, we are fighting for all of our constituents around the country. We hear what they're saying. We understand their fear. And we are moving in the direction of being able to once again turn our country around into a giant growth of our economy where we just came from six months ago. Our thanks to Indiana 2nd District Representative Jackie Walorski, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta delivering breakthroughs in technology while cutting the company's carbon intensity by 50% by 2030. Learn more at Syngenta.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.